Welcome into a summer edition of the Checkerboard Chat. It's been a while since we've uh, talked to all you guys. I'm Ryan Schumpert, joined as always by Ryan Cruz. We are the co-sports editors here at the Daily Beacon, and it's been a uh, hectic few months of kind of everyone wondering what's going to happen, and we're starting to get some clarity this week, and we'll jump right into it. Big Ten announcing yesterday, Pac-12, or Big Ten announcing on Thursday, Pac-12 announcing today that they're moving the conference-only schedule. There's been a lot of uh, rumors out there that the ACC is going to follow suit pretty soon with um, the Big 12 and SEC holding off for now. But if you don't have anyone, any big teams to play out of conference, I think they're going to be for, their hands going to be forced to follow anyway. But uh, Ryan, what was your first thoughts when you saw that yesterday? I, I just don't know how much of really an impact. Uh, you know, this will be in terms of their, you know, they say it's to combat the virus. And I kind of get the, you know, they say maybe possibly, you know, a uniform standard between the conference. You know, maybe it's hard to control other conferences. But, you know, I think, you know, and the other big thing they're talking about, you know, minimizing the travel. Well, I think the biggest thing that stands out is, you know, you look at a school, you know, with the ACC, you know, a team like Clemson. Well, now they're not, you know, hopefully they get saved, but, you know, they're not going to travel to go play South Carolina, which is a short little bus ride, but yet they're probably going to still go play games in the Northeast. Yeah. You know, and, and God forbid the SEC go conference, you know, obviously I, I hope they don't, you know, I think cooler heads will hopefully prevail there, but you could have a situation where someone, you know, Georgia, Florida aren't going to play their, you know, their rival who is within, you know, a couple of hours driving distance for, an hour for Georgia, uh, but they're still going to go play at Mizzou. And, yeah. you know, South Carolina's not play Clemson, but they'll go play Texas A&M. And that just, it's just a, a wild, you know, thing. But again, you know, there's so many wild things going on right now. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's kind of ironic, honestly. The two most regionalized conferences, the SEC and the Big 12, where obviously there is, like you were just saying, in a lot of cases, still a good amount of travel. But in general, the two most regionalized conferences aren't the ones that have come out and announced that they're going to conference only. That's been the you know, Big Ten, which stretches from Nebraska to New York and, or I guess, New Jersey and Rutgers. And then, like you were just saying, the ACC all the way up from Syracuse down to Miami. And Pac-12 is, you know, basically the same thing on the West Coast. I think it's it's partially a financial decision. I You look at it. Most of these teams have one, maybe two big out-of-conference games, whereas they have three other small ones. And is Tennessee going to want to pay Charlotte, or are they going to want to pay Furman $2 million when they can't put anybody in the stands, which right now seems to be looking less and less likely by the day. Hopefully in a month, and month and a half, we have things maybe more under control that could possibly happen. But right now I think that looks unlikely, and I think that as well as maybe buying some time, postponing the season for a few weeks, which this cutting out non-conference games could do is really the main motivation right now. Obviously, player safety is being taken um, in the, into the circumstances, but like you were saying, a lot of that is how much of that's really actually helping player safety when you're still traveling at, at a big rate. And, you know, if they... I know the Big Ten was saying they're going to do 10 conference games, and if the SEC follows suit, maybe the games you're adding, you're trying to add more bus rides for teams and where maybe Tennessee plays Auburn and Ole Miss. 
But at the end of the day, some of that's just going to be it's an east and a west for a region or for a reason. And obviously, Missouri is kind of the one outlier there. But it's going to be hard to fully, fully hold and rein that in. I think. Another thing I think is going to be interesting to watch, watch with that is, I mean, the independence, Notre Dame, um, BYU. How does that Army? Air Force, how is that going to work? It's I know the ACC, Notre Dame already had six games against ACC teams this year. I think I saw the ACC is working towards still playing those games. But if not, what I mean, what does that look like? Do you do you think there's a chance that we can get some of these matchups between? I know South Carolina has been talking about it, still wanting to play Clemson, Florida, still play Florida State. How exactly do you do you monitor monitor those things, and how tricky does that make it for? conferences to figure things out going forward as we get really just about two weeks from the start of training camp well i think so the first thing is you know notre dame i have heard uh reports that john swafford has said they will look at the possibility of a of uh accommodating notre dame you know adding you know letting other teams play there and get them up to a uh, respectable number of games uh and i think one of the biggest obstacles that i've seen for the teams like South Carolina, Clemson, and uh, Florida State, Florida, within the SEC, from the SEC side, is finding games for those other schools like Tennessee, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, that don't have a in-state rival uh, in another conference, you know, and and how does that work with the other, you know, the other teams like that? Because you want to create some equity. You don't want to have these other teams that just so happen, you know, because they the way it shakes out that, you know, South Carolina, Clemson, whatever, South Carolina, Florida, they get an extra game. Uh, so, you know, I think it's trying to, you know, create some equity there. Uh, but, you know, there's so many moving parts. I think it's just something we're all going to figure out as long as, as it goes. Yeah, and I think one of the issues we've seen this whole time is just how there's a lack of common – there's no there's no one decision maker. There's no – seems to be very little – strong communication between conferences so and the NCAA has taken a very hands-off approach to things I mean the statement they released yesterday was I mean basically just said absolutely nothing about the Big Ten going to it just saying they support whatever the conferences decide to do so they're kind of left on their own and it there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of good meaningful communication I know the Big 12 commissioner said on Thursday morning, or they had a call with the Big Ten commissioner on Thursday morning, and they show no signs that they were going to go to conference-only schedule later that afternoon, and obviously that's what ended up happening. So that's going to be something to watch. I think that just what makes college sports even trickier to try to maneuver and figure out things in this COVID-19 season, COVID-19 world, and something that will certainly continue on into basketball season too. On to the second thing, COVID-19, more Tennessee players were tested this week. Um, up to this point, no football players have been tested positive. I don't think any of the Tennessee hasn't announced the results of the test this week. Will be interesting to see what happens there. You know, it seems very strange that Tennessee hasn't had anyone tested positive. I know some schools like Florida State aren't disclosing that information, but Tennessee has been open about it. They've been open about it in other sports. Obviously, two basketball players have had it. 
what have you really taken from that and you know how sustainable is that and going forward do you think I think you know with a team like Tennessee who has who has not had a case yet uh, there's more of a gamble you know not that they can choose oh we want players to not or not have it uh, but you, you look at a a team like Alabama or Clemson who have had high numbers of cases, okay, you kind of know what you're going to get. You, you're not really going to see, you know, huge spikes come, you know, mid-season. You've kind of, it's kind of come through the team. You're kind of, you're pretty close to herd immunity. Uh, but, you know, you're a, a team like Tennessee, you, you, we've seen that this virus is a lot more widespread. It's very easy to catch. Uh, so, I, you know, I think it I think at some point there will definitely be, you know, I don't want to say for sure, but, you know, it's almost statistical, uh, high, highly likely that there will be cases on the Tennessee roster, you know, later on. Uh, and so I think the gamble is that possibly by the time that they start getting cases, that there's come to be a consensus of, okay, we know how to deal with it. We know the facts, you know, we, we know how it affects college-age kids, especially college-age kids who have a high level of fitness like the Tennessee ball players do and, you know, all college ball players. So I think it's definitely, you kind of know more where you're getting with teams that have kind of start to see the cases. Um, but it's kind of more of a, it's a greater unknown uh, for those teams who haven't had the cases yet. And, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And it'll kind of depend on where the country is at the time they start to get cases. Yeah, and I've, I'm not the first person that's had this thought, and I'm not set in stone on it, but you know, I think a lot of people think that it's better to have your players get COVID now. And I think from a football on-the-field standpoint, that's almost certainly true. You get closer to herd immunity if you have it now. The thought is you can't catch it again. I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'm not sure that's true. But at least in the fall, the thought is you're not going to catch it. You're not going to get it. But... What's even more off the field, and I just think curious, is once everyone gets back to campus, and that seems to be how things are still headed in the SEC, at least at Tennessee, I'm not sure how much you really can control it. Whereas now you have players, basically just athletes on campus, they're doing, or at least coaches are doing their best to have them not in harm's way. I think that's a lot harder when you get back to school and I think it can become much easier, a snowball effect. And I think that's where teams, coaches, administrators are probably worried that you could easily have 10 people on your team catch it in a week and then another seven the next week. And then you have 17 guys out for a game that can't play for two weeks. And then that's just a, you know, I don't know, 17, you probably don't have to forfeit, but certainly a huge disadvantage and I just think the unknowns that come with having COVID and having that run through your team in the fall are probably bigger than they are now. Like you said, that gives you a little bit of time to see how other people handle it, figure out the best way. So there's certainly some pros and cons there, but I think it will be very interesting to watch going forward. And, and you talk about the different climate. I can definitely speak as someone who played college football you know, at a lower division, but still – you know, we got to campus two weeks before everyone else, and so it was us, the two soccer teams, the volleyball team, and it was a 
much quieter, you know, area on campus. You know, coaches could kind of have a lot more control. Uh, pretty much every there, everyone there was under the thumb of a coach. So you're not going to see massive parties or anything, you know. You know, they're not, you're, it's a much more subdued climate. But when you, you could definitely tell the difference, you know, come, you know, a couple days before class starts. Just the, the campus life just changes so dramatically. So it's definitely that's something you could see. Yeah, it, it's certainly just a lot more less control coaches and administrators are going to have over the situation once everybody comes back. Hopefully, you know, you don't have any huge outbreaks, but it's hard to know. And everything that's going on right now, it's just hard to say anything definitively. Moving on to a little bit of actual football, working on the uh, assumption that we that Tennessee gets back on the practice field here in the coming weeks. Where is some position groups, some players that you're really watching, you know, that are going to be interesting to see with the lack of spring practice and the lack of normal summer workouts for the players? So I think obviously your first things you think of are going to be the team, the position groups that have new coaches that are facing a lot of roster turnover. But as far as I'm concerned, I believe the most impactful position as is typically, you know, for any spring practice, it's going to be the quarterback position. You know, as you saw throughout last season, Jared Garantano was a little inconsistent. Same with Maurer, you know, Shroud. Again, there was widespread consistency, and you had, you know, six guys playing there, you know, got, you know, volume for playing time there. And so, you know, spring practice definitely could have given them the ability to great confidence, you know, very likely, Garantano will be the starter come uh, opening day. You know, just because of you know the uncertainty, you typically ride with the horse that you have. Yeah, uh, that's led you you know there for those last couple games. But as you know, you know, is that going to be sending you know lagging in his head? You know, hey, you know all this inconsistency. You know, a good spring to have helped him overcome that. Whereas he's coming in here, you know, still not really solidified. You know calls from the fan base for change. So it's definitely, you know, also Harrison Bailey, you know, there's some problems there. So it's just going to be, it's, the quarterback comes a lot more shakily than they would have had. They were able to solidify that during spring practice. Yeah. One of the things I think with the quarterbacks, that's going to be interesting. is just how many of them there are in the room. Obviously you have four of them on scholarship with Shrout, Maurer, Garantano, and, um, Bailey, but and then you also have Kaysom Hill, Jimmy uh, Callaway with or Jimmy Holiday, excuse me, was a guy that was supposed to start there. Now there are some rumors that he's already moved the receiver, which would make sense. But how does Tennessee manage those snaps, those reps in practice to get everyone time? Because obviously, and that's what more than anything spring practice is for. While also, I think most people felt like spring practice would weed out a quarterback and someone would transfer. Now you're going into fall, and as much uncertainty as there is at that position, as well as the receiver position from Tennessee when you lose your top two pass catchers from a year ago, it makes you need the rep who is going to be playing a lot to get in rhythm with the players, but you also need to continue that development. And like you said, there is so much uncertainty of who you know, Garantano, I think we all believe is going to be the starter game one, whether that's against Charlotte or Florida or whomever. But 
that doesn't mean he's going to start all 12 games. And he's shown, like you said, in a lot of inconsistency. And I think it would be foolish to think that there's no chance anyone else could play there. So that's just a tricky situation. Flipping the other side of the ball, I think inside linebacker is going to be a really interesting spot. And a lot of guys there could used could have used spring. Um, a lot of young players, not a lot of depth. Obviously, Henry Toto is all-conference level player, really high-level player. But besides him, who's going to be beside him? I think Quavaris Crouch is the, seems like the most likely possibility, but he's a guy who didn't play inside linebacker much last year, only kind of in a reserve role, mainly played outside linebacker. And a guy that hasn't played a whole lot of defense in his career as he was a big-time running back um, in high school in North Carolina. And then who else can step up there? I think Jeremy, there's a lot of thought that Jeremy Banks is going to be back on the team. I know he's, I think, backlisted in the Tennessee system. But he's a guy who hasn't played football since the Chattanooga game last year before he got kicked off the team. And then after that, you have a lot of young guys behind them. Bryson Easton, a freshman. Martavius French, a freshman. Who can, who can they get to step up there and really help things? And a new position coach, too, to mix into all of that with Shelton Felton, so a lot of moving pieces, a lot of question marks there. Question marks not always a negative, and it helps that you have an all-conference player already set in stone, penciled in at the one linebacker spot, but who starts at the other one uh, is a very big question, and Tennessee also needs to develop some depth. Another guy I failed to mention, J.J. Peterson, big recruit a few years ago, pretty talented, hasn't really put it all together. Another guy that just practice time is is so important for. And and another thing is you, you talk about the linebacking core and you know how Toa Toa is you know already there and has the next time experience. But I think one thing you got to factor in is you know he's had experience as you know the second linebacker you know as the co-pilot you know so I definitely think spring practice would have been a great time for him to get mental reps, physical reps just the entire mindset of being the pilot of the defense, you know, it's, it's a different, you know, it's one thing to be there next to the guy who's controlling everything and, you know, watching and learning, but to be able to, you know, now it's, you got the reins and you got to run this, you know, uh, it's one thing to know, okay, I got this, but you know, you know, the, that, that time it can, it can be invaluable for a young guy like that. Him. Yeah, certainly more of a broad question here, but, you know, conference-wide, nationwide, and maybe, you know, if you have anything specific at Tennessee you'd want to add in, go ahead. But do you think we'll see less freshmen play this fall just due to the lack of spring practice and the lack of organized, you know, full team together stuff in the summer? I mean, I think you're going to see – it's going to be interesting. Uh, I think – I would lean that, yes, you're going to see more freshmen or my bad, uh, less freshmen. Uh, but then also, you, you know, who knows with, you know, player being pulled out because they're tested positive. So you might see yeah. more on that side. Yeah, uh, good point. More from, but I think from a game plan, you'll see less, but possibly from, you know, you know, the starters have to be, have to be after quarantine. I think you see more freshmen there. So it's interesting which one will have more of an effect. Yeah, it's, it's certainly going to be a balancing act and, you know, it's really a position, looking at it specifically with Tennessee, I think it's where Tennessee is very much benefited by how much returning depth they have along the offense and defensive line. 
Typically, those are the hardest positions for a freshman to come in and play, probably especially this year, whereas some of the opportunities for playing time, you know, less depth areas on the team like receiver, linebacker, you have some talented guys there who you hope can get accustomed to things and get hit the ground running a little quicker. Obviously, every player is different, but just in, in general, that's the trend. One last thing to get to on the recruiting front. Um, it's been you know slow for Tennessee after a wild May and June where things seem to be going at 150 miles per hour. But speaking more on, on the recruiting calendar, what do you think that looks like if NCAA still hasn't announced any plans to open things up. What is? Do they have visits in the fall? If you're saying it's not safe enough for fans to be in the stands, is it safe enough to bring high school players in? And you know that high school seasons in a lot of states are up in the air. I know. I think Tennessee's is going to be short and shortened, but still played, and a lot of the southern states are still going on with it, but. A lot of question marks there. How how do you think the NCA monitors that? So I think I think the two biggest effects are going to be on there. so the one front. I, I believe recruits are going to choose schools closer to home, uh, not necessarily because of a desire. Oh, I, I want to be close to home. I'm scared of the virus. But I think more so, you know, the schools that are closer to you, you know, the area better. Uh, you know, and a lot of times. You know, I feel like a lot of these guys who go far is because they they travel to the school and they're impressed by the facilities or this or that. And I don't think you're you're definitely have less than that. Uh, and the other front is, I believe, you know, I think you're going to see some. You're going to see less. You know, fans at high school games. You know, I've already seen. Uh, I believe New Mexico uh, already canceled their season. Uh, it was in Mexico, Mexico or canceled their football season. Uh, so that's going to be interesting. So I think you see more of that uh, prior uh, performances, you know, in, in past years. Uh, you're you're going to see the importance of camps, uh, you know. And then you, I think one of the first thing is you're going to see less uh, attention for late bloomers who would typically come out in their senior year. You know, this could be their shot to you know, get that offer that they really dream of or to move up the ladder. And so I think this, you know, could, could be, could definitely, you know, shake up. I think there's going to be a lot uh, less precise of a recruiting cycle. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that's a good point on the players staying closer to home, especially, you know, Toa Toa is one of those guys and Tennessee's done it some, but, you know, Georgia and Alabama schools that recruit more nationally and go out to California and get kids, get kids on the West Coast. You know, it's hard-pressed for, you know, even there are visits, you know, official visits, which I think at some point there is going to be. If you just go visit a place once, I think it's really hard to decide to go there, whereas usually you have on officials, guys will make big southern tour trips in the summer. They'll go visit four or five schools. You get a chance to see things, get more feel, get more comfortable, you know, when you're there for the second visit, and it's not you're not seeing everything for the first time. And that could create opportunity for schools like USC and uh, UCLA, really any number of schools at the West Coast, that opportunity is there. I know USC and Clay Helton have recruited well this year after a pretty abysmal class last year. So that'll be interesting to watch. Another thing, if you're not having visits in the fall or they're pushed back, is the NCAA going to 
get rid of the early signing period for this year and not let kids sign in December? Are they going to, you know, I think it's easy to say we still have the signing period in February. We're not going to get rid of it. They can sign whenever. But, you know, these that's the reality of the situation is these kids get pressured into signing all the time at schools in December, even when they maybe would feel more comfortable waiting, you know, Alabama and Nick Saban, not to pick on Nick Saban, every school does it, might say, you know, we don't know if we're going to have a spot for you if you wait till February. And I think that becomes even more of a concern now just because all of the uncertainty. So I think it will be very interesting to watch. Another thing, I think you'll have probably the most inaccurate recruiting rankings, at least inexact recruiting rankings, um, this year that you'll see in a while just because no summer camps for no rivals camps, 247 ESPN camps for those guys to evaluate kids. And then obviously going to be harder to get to watch players, I think, this fall, at least in person, even if there is a high school football season. And another thing is, I think, you know, you got to think about it this way is even if there are visits, you know, you know, unless you're talking about Alabama, Georgia, all these schools they recruit nationally. Well, you have guys who are, you know, live, you know, they're pretty good guys over 10, 12 hours away by car. And, you know, what if you know, they want to bring them in for a visit, but their mom or dad or someone who's kind of along with them has a, you know, doesn't feel safe. You know, they have a present condition or yeah. something and they don't feel, they don't feel safe flying. And, you know, am I really going to, you know, take a 12 hour drive? Maybe, I, and maybe if you're really into Alabama, but you know, that could be like, no, never mind. I'm going to go visit somewhere else. You know, that, that could, you know, definitely, you know, create more regionalized recruiting. Yeah. I think especially with the, you know, how important it is to get family members on campus and comfortable with situations. I think it's something where it could really pay dividends if you've already done that. You know, I think early in the process, kids obviously take visits up to three years before, you know, their sophomore year of high school. But a lot of times, they're not getting a lot of one-on-one time and parents aren't there. But, you know, especially, I think that's something you saw as helped Tennessee, you know, just the last week before things died down, Hudson Wolf tied in from out in West Tennessee and his whole family was on campus for a visit. Tennessee parlayed that into getting his commitment about a month ago. And then another guy that was there that last week was Caden Salter with his whole family and the quarterback who committed to Tennessee back in May over Auburn. So obviously they were able to get that comfort level. And I think having already had family members, parents more particularly on campus, having them comfortable with the coaching staff and the situation there is really going to pay dividends because just like you said, you don't know, it's so much uncertainty. You don't know if those adults are going to be able to make visits again in the winter, especially when Again, I'm not a health expert here, but people are anticipating a, another wave of things to get kind of bad when it goes with flu season, which obviously coincides with when recruiting is heating up at its at its very peak, in which, all back to your original point, I think it really push a lot of more players to end up staying closer to home, not necessarily in state, but in a five-hour bubble of where they live. I think it could make a, a, a really big difference. That is going to do it for this edition of the Checkerboard Chat. Appreciate you for joining me and Ryan Cruz on a little summer edition, talking a little bit of uncertainty of the football season 
while also getting into a little bit of specifics about Tennessee if we hopefully have a season this fall. Thank you for joining us.